We honor and we magnify your name in this place. We lift up your name and exalt you above everything else. Church, just magnify his name. Just take a moment and acknowledge the majesty and the beauty and the magnificence of our Savior. Yes, Lord, we love you. And we take confidence in the fact that you hold all things together. You hold every part of our lives together, even though it may look to us like it's falling apart. Church, the Word of God says, In Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's the power of the God we worship this morning. And like the old hymn says, His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Just praise His beautiful name for a moment. Amen, amen. Thank you so much to our worship team. You are welcome to take your seats this morning. Church, it's a privilege to be with you all today in this place. And this morning, we're going to continue with our series on the power of God's love. Last week we focused on that amazing scripture verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and identified the motivation behind what we do for His name's sake is the love of Jesus Christ that compels and constrains us. And our responsibility is to make sure that we don't be, ever become complacent and drift away from this love. We need to feed it. We need to build into it. We need to appreciate it. And we need to allow the love of Christ to transform every part of our lives so that we can become conduits of this love. This morning, I want you to go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans 8. Now, according to many theologians and devout believers, Romans 8 is one of the greatest of all of Scripture. And one of the reasons is because the chapter opens by saying... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how it starts, and it closes the chapter by saying, Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen? Two great book endings for your life, right? Because no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances you go through, no matter what chapters you, that are written in your life, there's no condemnation in Christ and there's no separation from His love. That's a glorious truth that you and I as believers can hold on to this morning and forevermore. So chapter 8 is a fantastic chapter, but today we are going to focus on verses, specifically verses 35 to 39. Let's read it together and then we'll get into the detail. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an incredible passage of Scripture. But what I want you to notice this morning is that there is a flow to this passage. If you take your notes this morning, there's a principle, there's a peril, there's a perspective, and then there's a persuasion. And think of the sermon this morning like a stairway. And each of these points is a step in that stairway, and I'm going to take you, or at least Paul is going to take you step by step to experience the power of God's love. So let's begin with the first step, the principle. I want you to notice that in these verses that we just read, three times Paul mentions God's love. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Verse 39, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love, love, love. God loves you, right? And that's a prominent theme in the book of Romans. In fact, it's a prominent theme in the life of Paul. As I said last week, it was Christ's love that compelled him to to give his life for the gospel. And you see, at his core, Paul understood this love And that's why he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, this is basic theology. God loves you. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, that's part of the very core of His nature. Church, many years back, there's, there's a story about a prominent theo- a theologian who was invited to visit a seminary to discuss certain theological matters with, with certain students. He was very well known for his thinking and his writing. And so when he, when he got there, the, the students gathered around him and started asking him certain questions. And the one young man said to him, Sir, of all the things that you've ever thought about theologically, what is the most profound or the greatest thought that you've ever had? Naturally, they were expecting a profound answer from one of the most profound theological minds of the time, So he thought about it for a while. He lifted his head and smiled. And he said to them, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you know what? That's as profound as you can possibly get. God loves you. It's a theme not just of the book of Romans. It's a theme of all of Scripture that God has a deep love for the people that he has created. It was D.L. Moody after tracing every single reference in the whole Bible, that's before there were computers, he traced every single reference in the Bible about the love of God, 
that he said there is no truth in the whole Bible that ought to affect us as much as the love of God. You see, God's love is amazing. I know we sing amazing grace, and we should, but we could just as easily sing amazing love. And the reason God's love is so amazing is because he reached out to us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, among us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Knowing that God loves us should cause in us a great relief, joy, and humility, knowing that God's plan includes me. Because if his love for me is eternal, and it is, he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. If it's eternal, that means that he loved you before he put anything else here, before he started or created anything. It means that his love is prehistoric, it's pre-fall of man, it's prenatal before you were born. And that means that it cannot be taken away from you and it can never end. Right? It's an eternal love, it is an everlasting love. So that's the principle that we have. God loves you. But church, that principle can be challenged at times. That principle can be challenged by the perils of life. Let me read verse 35 again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now church, what that's referring to are seven experiences, seven painful experiences, and when they happen or if they ever happen to us, They can move us away from that previous truth that we know about God, that God is love. When circumstances like these happen, they make a lot of us question the love of God. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, have you ever found yourself in a circumstance that you didn't plan, you don't like, and it makes you question God's love for you? There are moments in life when it's very dark, it's confusing, and you think, Okay, God, is this you loving me? Because I'm not feeling the love right now. Christian counselors who counsel people that are suffering from anxiety or depression will often hear them ask, does God even love me? Maybe you've asked that question before. You could be tempted during any of these experiences to conclude that God is against you, that God doesn't care about you, or perhaps even that there is no God. Whether you experience all or one of these things, it can make you wonder the truth that you say that you believe that God loves you. So I want want you to notice the question and the answer by Paul. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now that word separate, church, is the typical word that Paul uses for a divorce in the Bible. So I guess what he's saying is, is there anything that could divorce you from God's love? He asked the question, now look at his answer in verse 36. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And you think, Pastor, that didn't really help me at all. What does that mean? Well, Paul says, as it is written. Meaning, he's quoting something from the Old Testament. 
And he is. He's quoting Psalm chapter 44. Psalm 44 is written by one of the sons of Korah. And he's a psalm about the Jewish people, the chosen people, the people God loves. And very briefly, the psalm says, you've given us land, you put us in the land, but we're surrounded by enemies who have persecuted us, killed us, and taken us into captivity. And you might say, well, why is Paul quoting that verse to answer that, this, this question? Here's what he's saying, church. We shouldn't be surprised if we suffer for Christ because God's people always have. That's the history. Jesus told his disciples, you are going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. But then he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, when you suffer persecution, you're not alone. You're standing in the best possible company with the best lineup. When you are persecuted, church, you stand next to Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Jeremiah, and even Jesus. This is why historians carefully noted that when the early Christians who were persecuted by the Roman Empire, when they marched to their death, they often stood tall and accounted it as an honor to do so. Because they realized these things don't separate me from God, they simply show that I'm one of God's persons. I'm one of God's people. And if I die, I'm just going to be in His presence immediately. So we have this principle. We face a peril that challenges the principle. And church, that's why we need a perspective. And here's the perspective that Paul gives us. Look at verse 37. Yet in all these things, all the things that I just mentioned that challenge the principle, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now, in this verse, Paul is picturing us surrounded by these seven enemies, but we still come out on top as the winner because we are more than conquerors. Church, more than conquerors is three words in the English, but it is only one word in the Greek. And I really want you to know this word. It is the Greek word, hupernikau. And that word is broken into two parts, huper and nikau. And you know what that means, church? That means you are a hyper-conqueror. Not a hypochondriac, a hyper-conqueror. Right? It means that you are a super-conqueror. You are an over-conqueror. Look at the Strong's definition. It says, Hupernikau means that you are a super-conqueror who is completely and overwhelmingly victorious. It means you have complete triumph that you win a most thorough victory and conquer overwhelmingly. Isn't that amazing? And I know you know this verse. It's a, a verse that we often quote sometimes. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved us, right? But I don't think that it's, it's properly understood. I think a lot of us just think that Paul is saying, Hey, my friend, let me pat you on the back and give you a positive confession because you're going to face persecution in your life. And so I want to explain what more than a conqueror really means. Let me give you my explanation on this. Church, first of all, to be a conqueror, just a conqueror, is to rejoice when the battle is over. 
people who fight battles, they don't put their guard down until the, the battle is finished. And if they win the battle, that's when they rejoice. But more than a conqueror, a super conqueror rejoices in the midst of the battle before it is over. Do you have any super conquerors in the house this morning? There's a story about a man who visited a church one day. And he wrote an article about this visit because something happened that day that, that really moved him. He was a visitor at this church and was watching the congregation during the worship service. At some point in the worship service, they all stood up to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, and he noticed one woman in the corner of his eye. She was deformed and crippled. She had her crutches nearby, but she pushed herself up to stand and lift her arms as she sang Hallelujah. Her hands were twisted and deformed, but regardless of that, she raised them as high as she could as she gave God praise. And this visitor thought to himself, what makes a Christian sing in that condition? The answer, only one who is more than a conqueror can sing in that condition. Only someone who is more than a conqueror can sing before the battle is fully over. And what that means for us, church, is that when we are surrounded by the pressures of life, when we are surrounded by the battles of life, we need to look to the very end to get us through the now. So to be a conqueror is to rejoice when the battle is over. A super conqueror rejoices in the midst of it. And you know what's amazing with this truth? We didn't conquer anything. We didn't conquer the devil. We didn't conquer sin. We didn't conquer the grave, right? We are just piggybacking on the conqueror's victory at the cross. Which means he fought the battle. He incurred the cost. We didn't lose anything in the battle except maybe impurities, bad habits, and old lifestyles. He's the conqueror. We are more than conquerors because we are the, the beneficiaries. That's the perspective that we need. Which takes us up the stairway to the fourth and final step, the top level church. And this is where all of this should lead. We should be persuaded about the power of God's love. Paul was persuaded. He says in verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like Paul is searching and scouring the entire universe for any contingency at all. Any possibility that could separate us from God's love. And guess what? He doesn't find a single thing. And did you notice what he mentions first in that list? He mentions death. He's persuaded that death can't even do it. Because you see, church, death cannot separate you from God. It, can, it will only bring you closer to Him. It will unite you to His immediate glory because death's thing has been taken away and we have victory in death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Do you remember what David said in, in Psalm chapter 23, verse 4? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But do you notice what he says there? He doesn't say the valley of death. He says the shadow of death. Of death. And let me ask you something. Who's afraid of a shadow? 
Can the shadow of a snake bite you? Can the shadow of a gun kill you? No. Then the shadow of death cannot kill you. It's just a shadow. And as David would say, death is like walking through a valley. Yes, you go down, and yes, it looks dark, but you don't stay in it. Just like our Jesus rose on the other side, you rise up on the other side. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, death is not the house, it's just the porch. It's not the goal, it's just the passage to the goal. So Paul says, I am persuaded, which means I am fully convinced, I am absolutely sure. And how could Paul be so sure? Well, church, because Paul experienced everything he mentioned on that list except one, death. But he's about to. Because history eventually tells us that Paul was taken outside of Rome on the the Appian Way and they cut his head off. And that's what brought him immediately into the presence of his Savior. But when he wrote these words, I am persuaded, he knew what it felt like to have the, the lash of a Roman whip on his back. He knew what it was like to, to lack food, water, and, and sanitation. He knew what it was like to be shipwrecked, to suffer and languish in prison, to face the scorn and mockery from the religious leaders and the crowds. And he knew what it was like to almost be stoned to death. And for someone to experience all of that and come out on the other end and say, I still believe in the power of God's love for me, and that nothing can separate me from that love, that's worth listening to. Right? That carries weight. So here's the truth and application to that truth that I want to leave you with this morning. The truth is that God always loves you. The power of God's love is always available to you. But you don't always experience God's love. Or to put it another way, God always loves you, but you don't always feel the power of God's love. You're not always feeling the love. And that's why there needs to be application to this truth. Church, there's a little book at the end of the New Testament before Revelation called the book of Jude. At the end of the book of Jude, he writes this interesting statement, and he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's not like there's a condition to God's love. When he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, he means keep yourself in a place where you are experiencing God's love. The Living Bible clears it up for us where it says, stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Wait patiently for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ, in His mercy, is going to give you. If I could give you an example, church. Outside right now, I think it's sunny. And if I went outside and I tilted my face toward the sky, I would feel the warmth of the sun washing over my face. But even though it's sunny, I could block that enjoyable feeling by putting up an umbrella. The sun is still shining, but but I'm not feeling it. In the same manner, God always loves you, but you can put up an umbrella of doubt. You can put up an umbrella of condemnation. 
You can put up an umbrella of sin or of selfishness, an umbrella of jealousy or envy, or even an umbrella of comparison with other people. Any of these things, church, are sufficient to block out the experience and power of God's love in your life. But Paul said, I'm persuaded. I am convinced that nothing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My question in closing is, how persuaded are you? Or let me rephrase that question in a more direct way. Is there anything that would persuade you from not receiving that love and operating in the power of that love? If you had to think about it, does anything come to mind? You see, sometimes in life, we don't feel that we are worthy of God's love because of maybe our earthly relationships or because of hurts that we picked up along the way. Some of you that I'm speaking to this morning are still even angry with God because God took something from you. That's how you had it in your mind when it happened, and and that's the way that you framed it. God took something or someone that I deserve, I still should have, and I'm still angry that he's done that. There's a story that I want to close with this morning about a little girl who wanted more than anything else to have a little necklace of pearls. She saw some at one of those cheap costume jewelry stores. They were fake. They were imitation pearls. But she saved her her birthday money and pocket money throughout the year. And she finally bought that necklace of fake pearls and then she just put it around her neck. She was so proud of it. She wore it all the time. She could not imagine life without those pills. One night, her father tucked her into bed and said, My baby, do you know that daddy loves you? Yeah, daddy, I know that. And do you love daddy? Yeah, of course, daddy, I love you. And he said, can I have that necklace? She said, daddy, my necklace? You know how much I love this necklace? She tried to distract him and said, daddy, you can have any of these toys. Take one of these toys. He just smiled at her, he kissed her goodnight, and and she went to sleep. But he did this week after week for a couple of months, and he asked her the same question at bedtime, the same questions. Do you know that daddy loves you? Do you love me, and can I have your necklace? This went on for months until one night he came in, and, and, and she was ready for him. Do you know daddy loves you? Daddy, I know you love me. Do you love me? Yeah, Daddy, I love you so much. I know what you're going to ask me, Daddy. The necklace was, wasn't even on her neck at that time. She had it in her hand. She started crying. Her hands started trembling. Her voice started quivering. And she handed the necklace to her Daddy. He took that necklace with one hand, and with the other hand, he handed her a blue velvet bag, and inside was a real pearl necklace to replace it. You see, the father was just wanting her to give up a trinket, so that he could replace the trinket with the treasure. And I wonder if some of us are holding on to our trinkets when our loving Father is waiting to pour out His treasures. I wonder if some of us are holding on to bad habits or to selfish pleasures or to habitual sins. I wonder if some of us are holding on to hurts or offenses. We've become so attached to them, our grip is so tight. 
Church, some of us with our own lives, we're holding on like this and saying, Abba, I love you, but I don't want to let this thing go because it's, it's too precious to me. And the question we need to answer is, do we trust the power of His love enough to surrender everything that we've been holding on to? Because He has so much more for us. And my prayer this morning is that hopefully today, that this grip is going to be loosened as you say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. I surrender my brokenness. I surrender my pain. I surrender my control over my own life. I surrender my family. I surrender my child. I surrender my finances. I surrender it all to you, Because I want the power of your love to infiltrate my life and heal every part of me so that I can wake up in the morning knowing that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and go to sleep at night knowing that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I want your love to come in and and infiltrate and do its work in my life. Would that be you today? Would you say, Lord, I want to surrender? Are you holding on to trinkets? Holding on so tightly when when God is just wanting you to give that over so that He can give you His treasure? Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for your word this morning as we've come face to face with this amazing truth about the power of your love. The truth that God, through Jesus Christ, loved us with an eternal Lord, when bad things happen in life, when challenges to that principle come and we are tested by any of these things, sometimes we get tempted to move away from what we know. So we pray today that we would have this perspective that as we imagine the end of the battle, we can rejoice in the midst of it because we are super conquerors. You paid the price, you incurred the loss, but we get the benefits. And because of that, we should be absolutely sure and convinced and persuaded that no experience will ever separate us from your love and never divorce you from us. I pray today, Lord, that if we are holding onto our little necklaces, we're clutching onto our trinkets, that we will let go to have your treasure. We pray this in the name of the one whose love has the power to set us free. We pray this in the name of Jesus.